From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. 12 months ago, the eastern half of the country was blanketed in smoke and our Prime Minister was nowhere to be seen. Since then, Scott Morrison has enjoyed some of his highest approval ratings as Australians turn to the government for support during the pandemic. But with the possibility of an election next year, will it be enough to secure the coalition another term, guaranteeing them an uninterrupted decade in power? Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on how federal politics played out in 2020 and what's coming next. Paul, 2020 must have been one of the most difficult years in which to be the Prime Minister of Australia. Tell me, how would you characterise Scott Morrison's performance? Well, Ruby, there's no doubt Scott Morrison is finishing uh, this year, uh, the one he calls like none other, and he's pretty right about that. Well, he finishes it in much better shape than he began it, and I'd have to say there's hmm, as much good luck as good management in it. You might remember in January and February, Morrison's disapproval in the news poll was 60%. Morrison has taken a hit in the polls amid criticism of his handling of the nation's bushfire disaster. Anthony Albanese was preferred Prime Minister and support for the government collapsed. The Prime Minister is facing a, a grave question over his political judgement at the start of this year for the way he's handled himself during this bushfire crisis. And the trigger for that was the Prime Minister's misreading of an appalling response to the catastrophic bushfires. The Prime Minister has caved tonight, rushing back from Hawaii amid criticism for taking a holiday while Sydney burns. Scott Morrison... Epitomised by his secretly going on holidays to Hawaii with his family and when he came back, uh, tried to excuse himself by saying he didn't hold a hose. Well, there's no doubt, though, that... The one in a hundred year pandemic. We are living in unprecedented times. Was the sort of dramatic circuit breaker that he and the government needed. This calls for unprecedented action. And he certainly didn't waste the crisis. And today our government has made a decision today and that I announced today that no government has made before in Australia in response to crises such as these. His setting up of the so-called National Cabinet, which was and is a rolling summit of state and territory leaders, was a political masterstroke. But even here, it should be remembered that the Constitution foisted it on him. The states have responsibility for health. And the Constitution also handily provided the Prime Minister with the Premier's as scapegoats if uh, anything went wrong. But... As we end the year, Ruby, there's been a complete turnaround with Morrison's approval in the essential poll this week at 62%. And according to the mid-year budget update, we have a recovery underway. Mm. So why do you think that is, Paul, that the Prime Minister has such a high approval rating? Well, Ruby, as I say, it's intimately tied to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, Labor leader Anthony Albanese himself in recent interviews drawing on his party's own research, has said everybody wants their government, state and federal in the crisis to do well because, let's face it, everyone has a vested interest uh, in it. Mm. And what do we know about Anthony Albanese's popularity then at the end of this year? Because he's been facing pressure from some sections of his party and there have been criticisms about his failure to hold the Morrison government to account during the pandemic? 
Oh, Ruby, Albanese dismisses criticism of him for being soft on Morrison and liberal light during the pandemic. Uh, I am trying to be uh, as constructive as possible. We've put forward ideas that are about looking for solutions rather than arguments. And He says, look at where negativity got the Liberal opposition leader in Victoria, for example. Michael O'Brien's been far more aggressive, far more negative towards Premier Daniel Andrews and has left voters mightily unimpressed with more disapproving of him than approving of him in the opinion polls. And by contrast, in both News Poll and the Essential Poll, Albanese is in positive territory. The latest Essential Poll, for example, has him at 42% approval. And Essential's pollster, Peter Lewis, said the one job of an opposition leader this year was not to disqualify oneself from future office by acting like an opportunistic pork chop. And he says, uh, elbows passed this test. Well, tending to support this analysis is the closeness of the two-party preferred vote in the latest news poll. The 51-49% the government's way is statistically line ball. So Morrison's stratospheric approvals haven't translated into thumping support for the government. And all of this takes on some significance, Paul, when we think about what's likely to happen next year and the potential for an election. So do you think that we're going to go to the polls in 2021? Ah, well, Scott Morrison says he's a full-term Prime Minister. But if the precedent of other full-termers is any guide, that suggests the second half of 2021 will be the most likely window of opportunity for the Prime Minister to call a poll. Certainly, the Labor Party is gearing up for a general election around July or August. And even if this is proved wrong, no one expects the Prime Minister to go beyond March of 2022. In other words, the fevered atmospherics of election campaigning will dominate the year ahead. Now, while it's true a significant number of people uh, leave it till polling day to make up their mind who to vote for, politicians don't have the luxury of delaying their pictures. They have to fight to be noticed well ahead of polling day. The old saying is, you can't fatten the pig on market day. And some in the Labor caucus are a bit worried that Albanese has missed this truism and it's fed some of the murmuring on the Labor backbench about Albanese's leadership. But he's confident he's in better shape against the Morrison government than a cursory examination of the opinion polls might suggest. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. 
Paul, there is no doubt that COVID-19 has defined 2020, but what do you think we should expect when it comes to federal politics next year? Well, Ruby, just as in 2020, it'll be events more often unseen that will determine the direction of 2021. But already there are known knowns that have our government struggling to manage and to which voters can rightly demand to know what the Labor alternative would do about them. And when you think about the challenges ahead, climate change is obviously near the top of the list. And I've got to say it's as problematic for Scott Morrison as it is for Anthony Albanese. In fact, I'd say there's a strong argument that the Labor leader is a long way further down the track solving his internal issues than is the Prime Minister. Can you tell me more about that? Well, Albanese's biggest internal irritant on climate policy, Joel Fitzgibbon, has kindly dispatched himself to the backbench, where though he has become Labor's most high-profile coal spruker, like his allies in the caucus, and he has a few, he accepts commitment to net-zero carbon emissions by 2050. Whereas for Morrison, there's no such comfort. Resources Minister Keith Pitt from Queensland, who's a member of the Nationals Party Room in Canberra, makes it crystal clear that his party will not accept the target. Does that mean they will or not? Do you support net zero emissions by 2050? Well, there's been been no policy decision on that. Uh, We've made a commitment. His embattled leader, Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormick, says the target is unworkable. Well, zero emissions by 2050 is not... Uh, is not on the agenda. And I don't... Former Resources Minister Matt Canavan goes further. He says it's fantastical. Now, one of the things I'm very focused on is making sure that we do not glibly sign up to these uh, fantastical, ridiculous, uh, uh, next-generation targets uh, like net zero emissions by 2050 and cripple our economy in doing so. Now, the 2050 target has become totemic of commitment to real climate change action. You know, Morrison was excluded from that International Climate Ambitions uh, Summit the other week precisely because he had nothing to offer except motherhood statements, like by the second half of the century or as soon as possible. Public opinion in Australia is hardening against this denialism, as it did back in 2007. And you might remember that forced a reluctant John Howard to go to the election with an emissions trading scheme. Australia will more than play its part to address climate change, but we'll do it in a practical and balanced way, in full knowledge of the economic consequences for our nation. Though his late conversion failed to convince the electorate, and that could be a risk facing Scott Morrison. Paul, this time last year, the eastern half of the country was covered in bushfire smoke and it seemed at that moment like climate change would be the dominant political issue of 2020, but then, of course, the pandemic hit. Do you think that anything has fundamentally changed in terms of what Australians expect from our governments as a result of the huge challenges that we've gone through this year? Well, Ruby... I believe that the pandemic has definitively shown that Australians want and expect and indeed deserve big government and not small government to look after them all the time and not just in a time of crisis. I think the pandemic was the last nail in the coffin of neoliberal trickle-down economics. That's when the coalition ditched its ideology in this direction 
and spent billions of dollars looking after workers, families and the unemployed through JobKeeper and JobSeeker. And I believe going forward that this benchmark will be there for this government and future governments as far as the voters and the people of Australia are concerned. But uh, mm, hopefully 2021 will be better than 2020. It couldn't be worse, could it? (laughs) Paul, thank you for talking to me, not just today, but every week during this year and helping make sense of, I think, probably the strangest year that I've ever been through. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Ruby. It's been terrific talking to you during the year and thanks to your wonderful team and I wish you and our many podcasters... All the best for the season and a very happy holiday. Bye. See you next year. (laughs) See you, Paul. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. Subscribe now at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. Also in the news today, a cluster of coronavirus cases in Sydney's northern beaches has grown to 17. New South Wales health authorities have asked residents in the northern beaches' local government area to stay home as much as possible and to avoid interacting with other households. And the Victorian Ombudsman has found that the state government's decision to lock down nine public housing towers violated the human rights of 3,000 residents. The residents were given no notice when Premier Dan Andrews announced in July that they would be barred from leaving their homes to try and prevent the spread of COVID-19. The Ombudsman urged the government to apologise for the impact the lockdown had on their wellbeing, but the Housing Minister, Richard Wynne, said the government would make no apology for saving people's lives. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Ruby Schwartz, Atticus Basto, Michelle Macklem and Cinnamon Nippard. El Marsh is our features and field producer in a position supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. Thanks for listening to 7am this year. We'll be back on January 25, but we'll be re-releasing some of our favourite episodes throughout the break. Our special series on the health impacts of climate change will launch on January 5. I'm Ruby Jones. See you next year. Happy New Year! Paul, how do you how do you wish someone happy holidays um, in Italian? Ah, well, you'd have to say Buon Natale, auguri a tutti. E baci e abbracci per sempre. Arrivederci. <laughs> what did you just say? Well, I said, you know, kisses and hugs forever. Goodbye. <laughs> kisses and hugs forever. Goodbye. Baci e <laughs> abbracci per sempre. Arrivederci. <laughs> kisses and hugs for everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>